Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. How are we doing this morning? Doing well, doing well. All right, well, maybe maybe you didn't notice. I've been out for a few weeks on vacation. If you didn't notice, I'll act like my feelings aren't hurt or something. But if you did notice, uh, thanks for thanks for caring. Uh, family had a chance to uh, just get away and, and do the vacation thing, and it was fun. And so I've been, you know, doing what suburban people do when they go on vacation, putting some pics up and uh, putting up, you know, wonderful pictures of my family, smiling and all those things. Uh, but I wanted to be fully transparent today and, and show you some of the pictures that won't make Instagram. Uh, so I thought if it was okay, I would show you the Art Trip family's not greatest hits uh, of the last two weeks of our vacation. So uh, there you've got a picture uh, where people are smiling, for the most part looking at the camera, not arguing. That's the goal. That's the kind of picture you upload. Here's the picture before the picture where we're telling Malachi, take your hat off. There's shadows on your eyes. Grandma won't be able to see your smiling face. You know, something like that. Real tender-hearted stuff. This is what we do on vacation. Here's another picture we've got uh, that, you know, you take enough pictures and, uh, you know, I was like, hey, let's make faces. And some people got the memo. Some people didn't get the memo. Some people are falling asleep in the picture, I don't know, but we kind of went half and half there, so that's what we do as a family. Uh, here's another, another greatest hits. Uh, you drive your son all over America, you take him to the national parks, you ask him what his favorite part of vacation was, and he says, remember that plate of nachos I bought? And I'm like, no, no, I don't remember that plate, but I'm glad that it marked your heart forever. So there, there's Canaan's best part of vacation. I uh, got another, another picture here for you. That's his... Uh, some of you are not hair challenged like myself, but let me just say that when we go on afternoon hikes, I've got to have a hat, and uh, one time I forgot my hat, and so I had to put on my daughter's uh, tie-dye hat, and it was a fashion statement. Just trust me when I say that. You can tell by the look on my face. I was embarrassed to be around people, like hiking with bear spray and like a five-year-old girl's hat was a good, good mix, so that's, that's one picture. Here's another, another one we've got for you. This is a hike I took my family on. Uh, when we made it to the top, that is actually how steep this hill was. For a half mile, we had to go straight up that. When you're like, you know, just slipping backwards, almost where you're like, should I have like poles or a cable or be climbing something? And they hated me. That was in Montana. That was not fun. Uh, we're still working through that in family therapy. So thanks for asking. Uh, here's, here's another photo. Uh, I just wanted to get Kristen's reaction. And so at one of the gift shops we were at, I walked up behind her and said, hey, I'm thinking of getting this hat. And then I snapped a picture as soon as she started to react. So um, apparently, she's not attracted to Indiana Jones at all. We'll just go on record and say that. All right, here's one more. We've got some more pics. Uh, this, is, uh, this is at Glacier National Park. Our uh, hotel was right by the park entrance. There was this really cool river. It was kind of flooded. And I was like, hey, let's go out and play in the, the river, guys. And uh, as we were doing that, we looked up and noticed there was like a, a cop just watching us at the edge of the river. He had thought our family was going to drown and decided that he would come and kick us out of that river. And so that was Canaan's face as we realized there was a cop coming to get us. Uh, our family doesn't get arrested often, but when we do it, we do it together. And that's the point of vacation. All right. So I uh, got, got some more pics here for you. The greatest hits. This is one that I took as we were driving through the mountains that I thought just really captured uh, the essence of the week. Uh, I actually have like 15 of these, but um, that's my neck there. You can see it. And 
I didn't take that pick on purpose, all right? I'm not going to lie to you. All right, one more, one more here. We got some, some picks. Uh, we were in Chicago, and you always ask random strangers to take your picture. And the lady that we asked to take our picture wasn't content with our family. And she's like, let's do a jumping photo. And so you don't want to be like, hey, random lady that's doing us a favor. That's a terrible idea. You know, you can't say that. So we're just like, let's jump. So there's the family jumping photo. Uh, Oh, for six, in case you're keeping track. We, uh, we failed pretty miserable at that, so that worked out great. Thanks, random lady that took our picture in Chicago. We'll move on here. Uh, and, and there, you're wondering, like, how does this work when a family goes on vacation? Do you guys fly? Nope, I'm the cheap guy that makes a family drive out to Montana in a minivan. And people are always like, do your kids hate you when you get there? And I'm like, no, they just don't talk to me. They just, like, sleep all the time. So that's, that's basically what's going on in the back of the van the whole time. There's some, the magic of a family vacation. Another pick here. And you're wondering, where does a family eat that's traveling in a minivan to Montana? Well, I took that picture right there about five times. We've decided when we go to restaurants, everyone can't get along. So our favorite thing to do is to find a grocery store or a classy Walmart in the middle of Wyoming. And, and you can go and you can get chicken wings or a sub, or you can buy your own two liter cheaper than you can get a pop anywhere else. And so we like to eat at Walmart. There's a family tip if you're taking notes, okay? I uh, got, got uh, some more here. This is my final one. In case you didn't believe that I took pictures of my neck all through the mountains and all, all throughout, I was going through to look at some things to, to put up, and I, I found this gem, and uh, there I am. That's me right there. Uh, I think actually before that, I took a one-second video with the same face. Then I switched it to picture, but I, I still hadn't reversed the camera, and so that's, that's what I got there. So anyway, we'll stop. You don't have to look at my double chin anymore. Thanks for playing the game, guys. Uh, the art trips are back. We're back from vacation. Uh, and I mean this when I say it, uh, it's, just, it's just good to be back at, at Movement Church. It's good to see everybody. If you don't want to give me a hug today, don't come up and talk to me because I'll probably hug you because I'm feeling nostalgic, all right? Uh, just good to be together and good to, good to be with family, good to, good to worship together again. Uh, Steph mentioned that we're in our uh, series called Counterfeit Christianity, talking through the book of James for the summer. And so we're going to continue that today. This whole series is based on this phrase, Christianity that has been reduced to merely believing things is not Christianity at all, uh, because we believe that our faith uh, should have action. And so we're not saying that our faith uh, that our actions save us. We, we do not earn our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I heard a pastor say it this way this week. He said, no spiritual discipline can make God love you. It's too late for that. God already loves you. But spiritual disciplines help us to live in God's love and offer it to others. So the point of this series is not to say, do this and you'll earn God's love or do this or you're good enough or do this and you'll get into heaven. The point of this series is simply just to say that when Jesus changes our lives, when Jesus changes our hearts, that should change our actions, that should change our behavior, that should change our thinking, that should change the way we function. And so this summer, in this series, in this book of James, we're talking about how our our actions should change, and we want to examine exactly what it looks like to live as a genuine follower of Jesus, what it looks like to have genuine faith and genuine action that go together. And so this morning, we want to jump into a passage in James chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, maybe under your seat there, you can open it up. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. It's on page 736 in most of the Bibles under your seats. And if you don't own a Bible, or if you need a new Bible, uh, you can take that one under your seat home with you today if you'd like. If you want to read that, you want to study, you want to grow, that Bible is our gift to you. But I want to read James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, and see what God wants to teach us about genuine faith. Verse 1 says this, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? 
Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Those first verses there start and, and say this phrase. Let me review it again there. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. I know that we kind of just jumped in this passage and just started, and that's pretty intense right from the beginning. It's like, all right, quarrels, fights, wars, that's, that's, a, that's a lot. But I, I think as we read this, that, uh, that we want to be honest with ourselves. And I don't know if you have Facebook. I don't know if you have friends. I don't know if you ever interact with people. But if we do a little self-assessment, it's not out of line to say that there are quarrels and fights and wars going on around us in this world. That's not hyperbole. It's not something we're making up. There is conflict in this world that we live in. What kind of conflict? Well, there's external conflict. External conflict can simply be when we find ourselves unhappy and angry with people around us and groups around us. There's personal conflict. Anybody here have a family? Yep, you've probably fought with those people, haven't you? We have family and friends and neighbors and people that we fight with, and there's wars and quarrels going on. We know of different nations and groups of people that are fighting all around the world. Sometimes we're involved in those things Sometimes we're not. And here's one more thing that we see that, that kind of signals conflict in our world, this inner conflict. Often we find ourselves just on our innermost being unhappy with who we are, unhappy with where we are, angry within ourselves and angry at our lives and ultimately the struggle and this conflict and these wars and all of these things are rooted in one thing. They're rooted in a desire for pleasure and a desire for control and power. And this passage says that. And I think as we read that, we're probably like, oh yeah, I know someone like that. Or, oh, I, I can think of a family member. I can think of someone I work with. I can think of a group of people. I can think of another country. Because when we hear that ultimately we crave control and power and pleasure, we're like, no, that's not me. But let's be honest this morning. That's us. And this passage is unlocking that truth in our sin and in our brokenness. We want control and we want power. And so whenever we want something, we convince ourselves that we're right. Whenever we want something, we do, we do anything we can to convince others that we're right. And we'll stop at nothing to get what we want. Here's what this passage is saying. And if you're a note taker, you can write this down in your Bible. Just remember this from this morning. Conflict comes from lust. 
our conflict is born in lust. And now I know as I say the word lust, we think of that word and we immediately tie it to a sexual desire and we think like, ooh, I don't know that I want to associate myself with lust. Well, here's what I want you to know. Lust is anything that you have a strong desire for. And so what do we as people lust after? We lust after power. We lust after control. We lust after prestige. We lust after influence. We lust after the approval of others. And we lust after things that we shouldn't want and things we're not meant to have. Our conflict, our inner turmoil, the conflict in us and around us and around the world comes from lust. It's the lust of our hearts and our minds for control and for power because we're jealous of others. We're jealous of what others have and we want what they want and we will wage war to be in control of those things. Verse two goes on and says this, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James is kind of queuing up this conversation. He's talking about the most common problems in the prayer life of a believer. He's saying that often people don't ask for things. Often people ask God for the wrong things or often they ask for the wrong reasons. And he's kind of saying, listen, your prayers aren't in the right spot. See, what we've kind of already alluded to is that most of us, most of the time, are in denial that we're jealously lusting after other things and after other people's things and we're not ready to admit that we're obsessed with power and control. And so James is kind of gently challenging the audience of, of this letter. He's saying, listen, you want the wrong things and you're going about them the wrong way. He's, he's saying we don't have because we don't ask God, but another way to phrase that would be you won't dare bring these things to God because James knows the things in our heart and the things that we lust after, the things that we crave are the kind of things that when you bring them before God, they're, they're embarrassing and, and they pretty quickly sound ridiculous. The truth is that we're often like spoiled children who just want what we want. We know it's not right. We know it's not good. We know we shouldn't have it, but we want what we want. And no one would ever say these sentences out loud. God, I just want to have a great life so people will be impressed with who I am. God, I need a raise. I just need a little more money so I can go on great vacations and, and make my family jealous. God, I just want to live how I want to live this year at college because I deserve to have a good time and I need to have a good time. See, when we're honest and transparent, we can, we can admit that our direction and our purpose is kind of selfish, but most of the time we run from that. We hide from that. We can never say our desires out loud. And James is really saying that often when we think we're following God, when we think we're walking with him, we're actually focused on ourselves. We're not at all living in partnership with God. We're just doing what we want to do. So where does this leave us? Where does that put people who might be ready to sort of kind of admit that we're in denial or maybe admit that at times we crave a little bit of power and control. Well, this is what verse four says. It says this, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. 
Friends of the world are enemies of God. You can, you can write that down. You can know that. You can trust that. Friends of the world are enemies of God. And a couple of weeks ago, Trig kind of focused us on this concept because this is a recurring theme that comes up in the book of James. And so it came up in, in chapter two. And in that, in that chapter, it was referring back to a man named Abraham that God called to make into the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. God put a vision in front of him and Abraham walked with God. And that week we said that faith is friendship with God because real faith has action and real friendship has action. And Trigg talked about this concept that when you're a friend of God, he has access to your whole life. Because when you're a friend with someone, they have access to your whole life. There are people that will come to your home and you may greet them on the front porch and they may come into the living room, but you would never say, hey, come into my bedroom. Let me, let me show you something. But you do have those friends that when you would say, hey, we just repainted the bedroom, I need you to see it. And the ultimate sign of, of being someone's friend is when they have refrigerator privileges, right? Where they can just walk in, get a glass, fill it up. They're drinking your chocolate milk, the really expensive stuff. And you're not, even, you're not even mad at them, right? Because they have refrigerator access in your life. When we're a friend of God, when we have faith in God, when it drives us to deep, intimate friendship with God, he has refrigerator access in our lives. And a living friendship leads to a living faith. But... This passage is kind of saying the adverse, the opposite. It's saying friends of the world are enemies of God. James is saying, listen, all those things we just talked about, all of those things that you lust after, all those things you run after, all those things you're trying to make happen, all the wrong things that you want, they're drawing you away from God. They're the opposite of the heart of God. And James is saying, we're far from friends of God because we're not living by faith. And he compares people who are, are not friends of God to adulterers, people who have turned their back on God. He says we're cheating on God every chance that we get because we're friends with the world. And when we're honest with ourselves, we've all been there because we like to think that we can sort of be friends with God and also friends with the world and we can have one foot in this world and one foot in this world. But you would, you would never say that you're an Ohio State fan and a Michigan fan, right? unless you want to get punched in one of those two college towns, right? You would, you would never say that you love the Browns and love the Steelers. And yet we think like, yeah, I can, I can kind of know God and be friendly with God. And I can also pursue some of the things that are in my heart and my life. And James, he's just making it plain and simple. He says, if you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. So we've talked about the fact that we lust and we run after the things that we want. And when we run after the things that we want, it makes us a friend of the world, an enemy of God. And James goes on to say this in verse five. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This letter was written to a group of Christ followers who were going through some persecution, who were seeing their faith tested for the first time and needed some encouragement. And James is telling them, listen, the Bible wasn't written for fun. These letters that you have, these scriptures that you have are not just some chicken soup for the soul. They're meant to be taken serious. They're meant to build your life on. And scriptures made it clear that God is a jealous God. God wants our entire life. God wants our entire heart. God wants all of us. And he didn't give us a piece of himself. He didn't give us one of his three persons in the form of the Holy Spirit just for fun. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He sealed us to the Holy Spirit when we trust him with our lives so that the Holy Spirit can walk with us, so that the Holy Spirit can illuminate things to us, so that he can guide us. God gave us the Holy Spirit because he's serious about us living in partnership with him. He's serious about us walking with him. He's serious about us not having a divided heart. 
And yes, we will mess up. Yes, there will be moments that our eyes aren't on God, but this phrase makes it pretty clear. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes those who think that their way is better and that they can do it on their own, but God gives grace to people who admit their need for a savior and are trying to humbly walk with him. God gives grace to people who admit they need a savior when they're admitting it for the first time and when their hearts are being refocused and they're admitting it for the 100th time. There's a passage that I love to read often in Matthew 11 where Jesus said this, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. When Jesus was on this earth, he offered a simple invitation. He said, come to me for peace. Live in combination with me. Live in partnership with me. And you will find rest for your souls. You will find the best life. See, the foundation for following Jesus is a relationship with him. And the way he made that possible was by taking on the punishment that we deserve for our sin, for our lust after the world, for our friendship with the world, for our desire for power and control. Jesus took on the punishment that we deserve on the cross. And so we take on his perfection. We take on his righteousness when we trust in him. He pays the price for our sins. And as we live in partnership with him, we don't follow rules like a burden. We follow him because we're compelled by his love and compelled by his sacrifice. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And our ability to partner with him, our ability to walk with him, our ability to have a relationship with him is not because we're perfect, not because of anything we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. I read a quote this week that said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, he sent us a savior. Part of our repentance, part of turning from the life that we often run after and often lead, the things that we lust after is is saying, God, I'm empty and I'm lost in those things and there's nothing I can do on my own and I want to follow you. And when we turn and when we face him and we follow him, we're admitting that we can't do anything but we're in need of a savior and that he's paid the price for our crimes. And yet we're also admitting that our freedom and our life is found in him. So what does all of this mean? What does it mean that we're often friends with the world? What does it mean that we lust after power and control and we run after our own empire and our own life? I don't know how your summer has been. I don't know how your 4th of July weekend has been. But often when I get busy, when I get distracted, my heart drifts and my mind drifts and my focus drifts. And my life begins to drift. And when I slow down and I'm reminded of truth and I look at truth and I fix my eyes on Jesus and I say, where am I in relation to Jesus? Where is my life in relation to Jesus? Things can get clearer. And I think this passage is offering us some clarity today because it says this as it ends in verse seven. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. This passage has talked about sin. It's talked about the ways we miss the mark. And I I, I love this word picture of sin. Sin is failure to walk in the light that we have received. 
We were made in the image of God to, to live out the image of God. And yet we, we walk out of the light that God illuminates our lives with and we walk our own way. And I'm sure most of us have probably tried to cut through a dark room in our house without turning the light on at some point. And you've regretted that pretty quickly when you hit your knee on the bed or when you stub your toe on a table, right? There's a, there's a, there's a direction, there's a light that God wants us to walk in. And, and yet we go outside of that often. And so when we go our own way, when we walk in darkness, when we choose our own path, we're choosing to walk in sin and sin is failure to walk in the light that we've received. And this passage can be received by people who are realizing that for the first time or the fifth time or the 255th time. There are moments when we have clarity and we say, I've been walking in darkness. I've been choosing my own way. God has illuminated this path. God has lit this path up for me. God has provided a place and a way for me to walk. And yet I've chosen to walk outside of that. I've been walking in my own power, my own control. I've been lusting after the things of the world. I've been desiring the wrong things and I'm lost and I'm tired and I'm worn down. And I want to be a friend of God. I want to have intimacy with God. I want to be found in God. I want to have peace in God. So this morning, I think this passage is offering us a chance to just say, God, I don't want to walk in darkness anymore. Maybe for the first time in your life, you could say that, Lord, I don't want to walk in darkness. I don't want to walk where I'm lost. I want to walk with you. I want to walk in you and I surrender my life to you. Maybe as a follower of Jesus, you would say, you know what, for the last week, for the last month, for the last season, I've been walking in darkness. I've been choosing to walk in darkness. I've been a friend of the world. I've been running after control and lust and Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. Here's our big idea for this morning. The solution to our internal and our external conflict is humble repentance. All of the things we feel, all of the things we battle against, all of the things that we go through can be handled by humble repentance to Jesus. The cure for our evil desires, the cure for everything is humility to say, I am not enough, I'm not enough, Lord, but Jesus, you were enough and you are enough. So James gives us a, a simple recipe for how we can humble ourselves how we can run to God, how we can be reminded, how we can refresh our life and say, Lord, my vision is clear. My eyes are on you. Let me focus my heart. He says these four things. He says, humble yourself. Whether you're doing that for the first time or the 20th time, humble yourself and say, Lord, I don't know it all and I need you. Resist the devil. Some of us have been giving Satan a foothold just by the discipline or lack of discipline in our lives. Some of the things we do, some of the things we look at, some of the, the friendships and things that we pursue have been giving Satan a foothold where he can tear us down and, and pull us down. And one of the simple things we can do after saying, God, I need you, is to say, and I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to remove that practice from my life. I'm going to remove that idol from my life. We can take a stand and call out our own actions and say, my eyes are on you. I'm going to stop doing that. Humble yourself. Resist the devil. Come close to God. God is not far away. God is a, a prayer away. We already mentioned that Jesus came and gave his life for us and reaching out to him saying, Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. I want to walk in partnership with you. I surrender my life to you. I confess my sins to you and I need you. It's simple. Scripture says when we come close to God, he will come close to us. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. And so we're asked to humble ourselves, to resist the devil and come close to God. And the final thing here, we're told, repent of your divided loyalty to God. Sometimes we, 
know that a certain action has been throwing us off. Sometimes we're aware of the fact that we have idols in our lives and idols in our hearts. Sometimes it's a desire for success. Sometimes it's a a desire for a relationship that we shouldn't be in. Sometimes it's a a love of money. Sometimes it's something that distracts us. There are ways that our, our loyalty to God has been divided. And when we're honest with ourselves, it's not just those people or those nations or that family or those friends who have divided loyalty. It's not just those people who lust after pleasure and power and control. It's you and I. And it's not just people who don't know Jesus. It's people who know Jesus but have lost their focus. So what does humble repentance look like? James says, humble yourself, resist the devil, come close to God, and repent of your divided loyalty. So how, how can we do that? Well, I don't, I don't know the state of your heart today. I don't know the state of your life, but I think that we've been offered a, a chance to, to do that. And so I want to just offer that to us as a group worshiping together today. We're going to close our service in the same way that we always do. We're going to have some songs. We're going to have a time of worship, and we're, we're going to sing, and we're we're going to be able to just proclaim truths of God. But I think that we would be mistaken to read a passage like this today and to not pause and say, God, how does this apply to me? Where has my focus been? Where, where are the things in my life that I've lusted after that have no business in my life? Am I a friend of you? Am I showing faith in you by the way I walk with you daily? Or am I distracted? Maybe, maybe someone will come to mind. Maybe you want to pray for a friend or a person who's been distracted, but I think it would be important for us this morning to say, Lord, where is my heart? Where is my family? Where is my home at? And how can I fix my eyes on you? Lord, are you calling me to repentance? Are you calling me to stop doing something or to end a relationship or to resign from a job? Lord, what are you calling me to do so that my eyes are on you? Let's take a moment as a church and just cry out to God and say, Lord, come close to me because I feel far from you. Come close to me because I feel separated from you. Let's take a moment to proclaim that our loyalty is to Jesus, our Savior. As we have a chance to sing and, and respond today, I want to I just offer you a chance to respond where you're at. Maybe you're someone that just wants to, to sing and close your eyes and talk to God. Maybe you're a person who would say, you know what, I want to, I want to kneel where I'm at. I want to pray where I'm at. Maybe you're someone who would say, no, I need to respond much more. Maybe you'd say, I want to come up front here and I want to treat this like an altar. I want to lay down the things that I've been doing that are wrong and I want to ask God for forgiveness. We have a, a prayer team that will be in the back. If you would love someone to pray with you, they would love to spend time praying with you and talking to you and helping you respond, helping you process what God's doing in your heart. This passage is interesting because it has a dynamic. It says, let there be tears. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness and gloom. But it ends with a promise. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. This passage is not saying, be be really sad about what you've done. Feel guilty for the rest of your life. Go about life feeling hopeless and like you don't have purpose. No, this passage is saying, don't find purpose. Don't find hope in in the things of the world. Don't find a foundation. Don't build a foundation in the ways that you've been pursuing power and control. Build your foundation and find hope and purpose 
in partnership with Jesus. And as we, as we seek him, we're told that he will lift you up in honor. That's our goal for today, to build our foundation and to build our lives on him. Not the things we've run after, not the things we pursued, to build our hope and our foundation on our Savior. So let's take a moment, let's respond as we worship. Ask God, God, what are you asking me to do? If you feel like he wants you to repent of something, take a moment and talk to him. If you want to come up here and and kneel and pray, do that. If you want to go back and talk to the prayer team, do that. Let's respond in humble repentance. Let's build our foundation on Jesus. Let me pray as we close today. God, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, thank you that even when we run after power and control, even when we lust after the things of the world, you still pursue us, you still seek us out, and you still sent Jesus to save us. God, thank you that at the end of ourselves, we can cry out to Jesus, and we can find hope in him, we can find relationship with him, we can partner with him. God, I pray if if there are people in the room who would say this morning that they've been running from you, they've taken some time off or they've been lazy in their relationship with you and they would say they need to make things right, God, I pray that you will help us to do that. I pray that you will help us to humble ourselves, to seek you and to make the necessary changes, Lord. Help us not to make changes that are dependent on us. Help us not to just do behavior modification. Help us to surrender our lives to you to hold our lives before you and say, Jesus, change me in the ways that you want and let me build from that foundation. Lord, lift us up, not in pride in ourselves, but in pride in you and joy in you. God, help us as we respond. Help us to be honest. Help us to be humble. Help us to give you every part of our lives and be friends of God who put our faith in you. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.